Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. This podcast is going to be a little different than most of our normal episodes. Because in this podcast, what you're really going to be doing is listening in to a conversation between two people. You're going to be listening in actually to a conversation between me and my husband. I'm Kimberly Holmes, the CEO of Marriage Helper, and today our special guest is my husband, Rob Holmes. And I'm so excited because this is the first time that Rob and I together have sat down and have talked about some of our story. This is the first time we've we've answered questions together, put things into words and and shared it with people. And so what you're about to hear isn't tied up in a pretty little package with a perfectly tied bow on top. It's not something that that we have rehearsed and and planned out perfectly to a T. It's really a conversation that you're going to listen into between the two of us. So without any further ado, here's the conversation with me and Rob. Hey, my name is Kimberly Holmes. I'm the CEO of Marriage Helper, and I am really excited about the special guest that we have on the program this today, this evening, this afternoon as we're recording this, because it's my husband, Rob. And this is his first real appearance, so to say, with the Marriage Helper audience, but um, I I'm just, I'm so excited because uh, this is like my two favorite worlds colliding. And so I'm excited about the conversation we're going to have and about the things we're going to talk about. But the real reason that we wanted to record this podcast is because we started having a lot more questions from people who were in military marriages where one of the spouses is in the military, or they're in a marriage where their spouse is gone a lot for work. And that's something that that Rob and I have experienced because when we first got married for the first six years of our marriage, we were a military marriage. Rob was in the military. And so we have dealt with the separation that comes with um, with military and where you're stationed and being apart from each other for jobs, not just with him being in the military, but also with me traveling for my work as well. And We've experienced the the pros of that, and we've experienced the cons for sure. And so in this episode, we're going to be talking about how do you deal with that as a married couple, and we're going to be telling some of our story and how it affected us and how we would do it differently if we could do it again. Rob, I'm excited you're on. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Now, for those of you who maybe you're newer to Marriage Helper, or you don't know as much about me or um, or my story or my or my husband Rob, I am um, I'm a very much extroverted person. I'm very talkative. I I guess I could say I like being on stage. <laughs> Rob is not the same as me, so for him to come and do this podcast. Um, might have took a little bit of twisting of arms, but or I'm he has he has so much wisdom. When we talk about some of these things in the car when we're driving together, um, and I get to hear his heart and I get to hear his answers to some of these questions that we've talked about, I just know it's going to be a blessing to so many people. So thanks for being here, babe. Thank you. I don't know how much uh, wisdom I really have, but based on what I've seen and experienced in life, I will share what I do know and let listeners uh, decide for themselves. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I want to give our listeners just a background on on how we kind of started a brief overview on um, dating and, and marriage and how it kind of how we ended up. So Rob and I, um, we started dating and it was long distance. He was in flight school at the time and I was in college at the time and so we only dated before you proposed for how many months? I think four, five? Nine. 
It wasn't very long. <laughs> it wasn't. We started long. dating in about, I to my memory, March. Yeah, technically. And we got engaged in November. Yep, and we got married in January first. So that we did. So we, from the time we decided to date to the time we said I do was about nine months. Yeah, nine or ten months. It was. Um, it was really short and really quick. And during the time that we were dating, we were long distance. As as I said before, he lived six hours away. And so we would see each other uh, like once or twice a month when either I would go down to visit him for a weekend or he would come up to Nashville to visit me for a weekend. And so that's kind of how, how we did things up until we got married. And then when we got married, uh, we didn't go immediately on a honeymoon because he was in flight school and he actually like two days after our marriage, he had a huge check ride and that's a test, a big test that matters um, in flight school. And it might have been the one like right before you graduated to determine if you were going to pass. It was my very last check ride. That is correct. Yeah. So it was very stressful for us. No honeymoon. Um, we went straight back to Fort Rucker. And and that was the first time we started living together and being around each other 24-7. <laughs> so I use the phrase a lot. You knew this when when we were dating or you knew this about me before you married me and Kimberly's defense is no, I didn't No, <laughs> No, I didn't. And one of the big things that, that we had to learn to live with, or at least I had to learn to live with is like I said, at the beginning of the program, I'm super extroverted. And I found out after we got married that Rob is not at all. He's very much introverted and, mm-hmm pretty sure i made that clear when we were dating but (laughs) i literally thought and i've said this before i thought those were just words that people said like i didn't really think they meant anything that people were introvert i literally thought he was making excuses for not wanting to spend time with me which is very ironic since you were a psychology major and you have a master's in psychology also yeah really really ironic but you know we're laughing about it now but it in our first year of marriage so even before we get into that a month after he, after we got married, we moved to Korea. He went before me. He went about two weeks before me. He got stationed over there. We found out he was getting stationed in Korea like just after we got engaged. And so that's why we had a quicker wedding. Um, so we get married, moved to Korea, halfway across the world. We don't know anybody. And we had one car. And he had to have it for work. And I was at home all the time. Yeah. And so I thought it was hard enough when we were first married and living in the same house for the first month that we had these differences. But the differences became even more amplified when we were living in Korea and then we're separate all day long and I have nowhere to go. And then he comes back in the afternoon or in the evening when he gets done with work. um, And all of a sudden it's like he would come home and say, I need time. So to give some perspective, you have an extrovert who loves being around people and draws their energy, the very fiber of their being from being around people who is stuck inside all day. That's Kimberly. Then you have an introvert who is drained by being around other people. Add to that fact that being a pilot is actually a very stressful career in the military and being in a stressful workplace and an environment for 12 or so hours a day and coming home. So the introvert wants only to relax, to chill out, to kick his feet up. And then the extrovert who's been waiting for that introvert to come home all day wants to spend time together, talk, be together. And we both had basically opposite needs and opposite wants. That was very tough. That was very tough. It was really tough. And what made it even tougher was that we did not know how to communicate with each other about it. And so it wasn't like he was coming home from work and I said, hey, babe, I know that you've had a stressful day, but but I can't wait for some alone time together. So go get your uh, go get your personal alone time you need and then we'll hang out later. Nope, that's not exactly how I handled it. Do you remember how I would react when you would come home? No, but it usually wasn't very good and it didn't help my stress. No. I don't remember exactly. You blocked it out. It was a bad memory. Yeah. <laughs> I repressed it that. <laughs> you repressed that memory. Um, actually, and so that, that actually brings up 
a good point as an introvert and also as a geek in general. I'm the guy at a Renaissance festival who is no kidding dressed up as a knight. In fact, I was polishing my armor and I'm not joking about this. I was literally polishing my armor before coming to do this podcast. (laughs) So as a geek and as a complete nerd, Kimberly kind of being that way, and it's not her fault, that drove me to be even more introverted. And I started getting into this video game called World of Warcraft. Uh, Many listeners probably are familiar with it. Some people call it World of Warcraft. And there was even a Facebook group called Widows of Warcraft devoted to women who basically considered themselves widows because they never saw their husbands, never spent time with their husbands because their husbands were playing World of Warcraft. And that's what I did. Uh, And it got really bad. I would come home from a stressful day at work and because I didn't know how to handle and Kimberly was also struggling to handle the fact that I was gone all day. She is a busybody. She loves to work. Work is a huge thing for Kimberly. She loves being able to do it. She's good at it. And she was unable to do it. In fact, because of the way her visa was set up while we were in the Republic of Korea, it was illegal for her to work. And she did work illegally temporarily until we figured out that it was illegal and then she stopped. And that's another story. Yeah. But that, that caused a lot of tension in our marriage. That caused a lot of stress. And then I would kind of just tune out with my, my game, my video game. And uh, I think that probably complicated matters. I, I, the, the moment that I stopped playing was, and we'll get to uh, the separation in a bit. Not a separation as in we hate each other and we're going to separate, but a separation, a professional separation, her in grad school. And uh, the, the turning point for me was when we hadn't seen each other for eight or so months. And she came to visit for Christmas of, I believe it was 2012. Mm-hmm. And I, I was playing World of Warcraft the whole time in my spare time. Mm-hmm. And she was visiting me for a month. And uh, I didn't do it then, but after she left, the impact of what I had done started dawning on me. And I and I quit the game. It was <laughs> after she left from that visitation, but I, out of guilt, quit playing. And I haven't touched it since, although I've been tempted probably a hundred times because at my very core, I am a nerd. <laughs> um but yeah, that, that was kind of a turning point for us. Um, do you want to get into the, you know, when we finally did uh, decide to send you to grad school and that did cause the separation? Yeah, I do. So um, before we kind of that first year of our marriage, we, you know, we were in Korea, there were we had some of our best fights in the sense of like, dang, those were pretty bad fights in Korea. Like when I threw stuff out, I got so mad one night, I threw stuff out of our balcony. Um, Some things that I had made him and given to him when we were dating. And like, it was because we weren't communicating. Like we, he would go do his thing. I would go do my thing. And we would just, I would yell at him, uh, which would, you know, prompt him to yell back at me. And so we were just emotionally growing apart distancing ourselves we really were uh in fact you know i think that may have led to some bias in the decision making process to have kimberly go back for and this is ironic for a degree in marriage and family therapy Mm -hmm. Uh, she decided to quit that program and i'll let her describe her own reasons there were a lot of reasons for that um but if you know anything about the marriage helper philosophy it's it's they don't hate counselors by any means. It's just they don't see them as the most effective. And being in that degree program kind of furthered that um, mm-hmm. conclusion on, on Kimberly's part. And I support that from what I've seen. But anyway, digressing from that, um, some bias in the decision-making process as to whether or not to, to send Kimberly back home to, to pursue her master's degree while I was there in Korea. Uh, I think part of that was, you know, we were growing a little bit apart and we somehow thought that the solution would be to be apart for a little while and and in a way it helped a little bit but a lot it hurt yeah and we decided after that that we would never voluntarily be separated from each other again now me being in the military there's plenty of opportunity for involuntarily being separated deployments uh war happening things like that trainings training mm-hmm 
Yeah. So we knew that we would be separated plenty in the future. So we decided voluntarily we're not going to do that on that scale ever again. Now, if we were separated from each other for like a week because Kimberly had to go back to Nashville and do work, we live in Nashville now, but at the time we lived in the Austin, Texas area. Um, you know, that was okay, but we, we tried to minimize that as much as possible. Yeah. So we were in Korea and after about a year and a half of being there is when, um, you know, we had been, we'd been fighting a lot, uh, emotionally growing more distant from each other. And, uh, we made the decision that I would go back to America and here to Nashville and I would do my, I'd pursue my master's degree and, uh, wait for Rob to, cause he was supposed to get done in Korea in the next like six, eight months. And so, you know, we made a plan like, you know, you'll come back. It'll be great. Well, and then there wasn't really a plan after that. It was like, you'll come back, but we knew he'd get stationed somewhere else. And we never really factored in how that was going to affect. So we didn't have a long-term plan, but it was like at that moment, um, I do, I think that there was part of us that was like, we just need to get away from each other for a bit. I think that was very appealing to us at the time. Um, even though we wouldn't have said we're separating because we don't love each other, we wouldn't have said that, but I do think we were sick of each other. And so I came back and, um, we didn't realize that Rob was actually going to get stuck in Korea. So he ended up, he was supposed to leave and be, come back to the United States in February. And he, he got, held over there for a year um so longer than he should have been there and so we ended up being separated for a year and it was only supposed to be a few months and so during that time that we were separated is actually the scary thing about it is it became very comfortable to be separated um you know, I missed him and I, he'd probably say that he missed me. There were days I missed him more than others, but overall we, we, we learned how to live as what they call in the military geo bachelors. Yeah. And that wasn't good for me. Uh, I'll tell you that there came a point in my stay in Korea where to be very frank with you and, and open here, I was becoming tempted by other women uh, never had an affair or anything like that, but it was getting to that point where I was starting to think in my mind, well, what if I did or, or, or entertain the thought, whereas before I wouldn't have even entertained the thought. There came a point in my stay in Korea where I wanted to stay. I didn't want to go back. And that's when I realized I have to go back. I have to. Yeah. And some of you might be sitting there thinking like, that sounds really cute because I am in the affair or my spouse is in the affair. And so why should, you know, why should we listen to you? You don't understand. And I completely understand how you feel. Um, when, when your spouse is involved in an affair, you, that is hard to go through. And there's definitely that, uh, that extra obstacle that you have. And we will address, you know, how kind of our viewpoint from that. But there's this other part of things where it's like, but if you can prevent it from happening, if you're in this situation where you and your spouse are separated a lot because of work or because of whatever reason, it's good to know what what temptations come and what good and what things might come as a result of this. And so we didn't do it well. And a lot of people were asking, people were posting some things like, hey, answer these questions. They were like, how did you handle your separation so well? We didn't. Because not only, you know, he had his temptations, I had my temptations, but we would go days without talking to each other. I don't think we ever went weeks, but it, it became very common for us to just talk like 10 minutes on the phone a week or something like that. And we weren't pursuing making our marriage number one. And you might be thinking, okay, but nothing terrible happened. Nothing happened yet. When we were separated, um, because he was in Korea and I was in the States, we were just kind of in a holding pattern. And our big crisis that came in our marriage actually didn't come until after we came back together. So as I said before, the separation we learned how to handle. It was, that was the easy part. It, it was. It yeah. was when 
he came back home from Korea, which just as a side note, the only reason he came home from Korea is because I had to contact my congressman to get him home from Korea. Yeah. It was insane. But um, so it was when he came home from Korea that the real difficulties started. That's true. And that leads us into one of the questions. I want to start hitting some of these questions as we go along. The question uh, the person wrote in, they said, our struggles weren't when he, their spouse, was deployed, but when he was home for a while. Now that he is higher in rank, he will be deployed less. How do we learn to live together all the time? That is a great question. That's a very good question. A very relevant question to military life for those who are listening in and who are military or even non-military. This may have some applications there. Uh, Quite frankly, it, it takes time. The first 90 days back from anything is very difficult for those who return. I was coming back home from a non-combat tour. So I did not have the same PTSD that many combat veterans have when they come back. And, and I was blessed with that. And it was still hard for us. And then there are couples out there who uh, one of the spouses or the, the spouse returning home from military service has PTSD. They saw things and that they cannot unsee and they don't really want to talk about. And so they're they're not just struggling from being away for a while, being in a holding pattern, getting used to being apart from each other, having their own way of doing things, and that own way of doing things goes uninterrupted. They start getting used to it and start liking it. But then on top of that, add in some some traumatic stress that they endured while they were there. And that may be anywhere from a horrific scene that they saw, getting shot at, getting shot, having to shoot someone else. That may just be as simple as, you know, artillery would start raining down in the middle of the day and they'd have to go take cover. And so they're simply on edge simply because their their nerves have been their heightened state of alert 24-7, 365 while they were away has caused damage to their brain. And, and psychologically, they've done studies mm-hmm. to show that being that alert all the time causes brain damage. So there's some listeners out there who might be dealing with some very tough circumstances, uh, just like the person who wrote in with this question. And I wish I had a good answer. I wish I had a magic pill answer that I could give that said, here you go, and this is how you make it easy. And, and that doesn't exist. It's one of those things that as a Christian, I would tell you prayer, but also patience. Mm-hmm. One thing that Kimberly did for me that, is probably the reason we're still married right now and we're not actually uh, divorced. And then she wouldn't be the CEO of Marriage Helper um, is her patience. She was very patient and loving with me. And that was in, that was basically when I was at my worst coming home. I, uh, for some reason, I don't know why, but I had a huge ego when I got home and there's a phone ringing inside here. It's fine. <laughs> okay. But I was at my worst. Um, I had a huge ego. I don't know why. Uh, I was convinced that I was pretty much God's gift to humanity when I got back. And uh, and I was acting very much according to, to that seeming belief in myself. And that made it difficult for Kimberly because she's a pretty humble person. There's times where she... She can have pride and, and sometimes some ego, but generally speaking, I would describe her as humble. Uh, she's very loving. So that was really kind of what got us through it was simply her being loving. Doesn't mean we didn't fight. It doesn't mean that we didn't snap at each other. I would probably use the horseman when we would argue, but I don't think that she did. Or at least she tried very hard not to. She knew <laughs> about what thinking. she knew about what the horsemen were. We both did. Yeah. Um, but I had forgotten. Or just didn't care. Yeah. And so, you know, it's gotten to the point where we both try to avoid the horsemen. There was never an aha moment where we both had a discussion where like, okay, we need to stop using the horsemen. It just kind of, I I guess I'd call it maturity. We just both kind of try and not do that now to the best of our ability. And even while we try not to, we probably do occasionally. So if you're not perfect, don't worry about it. (laughs) <laughs> so the, the best answer I can come up with is a very cheesy cliche one for that question. And, and I'll reiterate here. The question said, how do we learn to live together all the time in reference to a spouse coming back from deployment? And that would be showing love, patience, kindness, and humility. Basically the fruits of the spirit for those who are familiar with that, what that is. 
And that is the most difficult when that person who you are trying to live with is a raging maniac or they have a huge ego or they're not playing fair. You're playing by a certain set of rules and they're not. And that's tough. Mm-hmm. That's tough. You may need to have a discussion. You may need to come into the workshop again. You may need to buy some of the online material and go over it again. Whatever you need to do, do it, but do it with love, patience, kindness, humility, and respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I had to realize early on was that my perception of what Rob had gone through in Korea and some of the really intense trainings that he went through as a pilot, he had to go through some pretty, pretty intense stuff. Um, you know, I, I would siphon things and say, well, you were never deployed. So you, you shouldn't have this reaction to things or you, you know, you're not, what are you doing? Like, this doesn't make sense to me. So when I was filtering everything through my experience and, and my interpretation and my understanding as the person who wasn't in the military, honestly. And so one of the things I had to learn early on was just because I don't understand why he reacts to things the way he does. And just because I don't understand um, the the intensity of the emotions he has doesn't mean that they're not real. And it doesn't mean that they're not valid. I don't have to understand them in order to empathize with him. I don't have to understand the reasons behind things in order to understand that it's it's meaningful or important in some way to him. And, you know, he mentioned that I was very patient, <laughs> which is so funny because for the first six months, like right after you got back from Korea, First of all, he surprised me coming home from Korea. I was expecting him a week later. And I was like, I had just gotten ready for bed. And he comes walking into my bedroom. And, you know, you see these videos of people who have these surprise and, you know, their their soldier comes home and it's like amazing. And there's fireworks and there's crying and there's tears. And I just looked at him and I felt like a stranger had walked in. And it was like, I was happy to see him, but I was like, like, I just remember kind of like, we didn't, we didn't really hug or embrace, but we were both just, we did some, but at first I was, I didn't go running towards you with like open arms. That's true. You didn't at first, at first you had a very, very shocked look in your face and then we hugged and then you started crying. I did, but it was very, like, I think I even remember telling you, like, it doesn't feel Right. Like it's weird. Like there was just something weird about it. And so, and then for the next like six months or eight months or, you know, we got, we went to our next duty station and and things like that. And that's really when things got the worst. And there were, um, you know, Rob had mentioned his pride. There was also some anger that he had. I say some, but it was a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And and that brings us to uh, one of the questions. Uh, I figure I'll, I'll, while we're on the topic, A person writes and they said, I would be interested to hear about anger in marriage. And from his perspective, what did you do to help him want to ultimately stay in the marriage? What did you, when they're asking Kimberly, do that caught his attention? I think this is partially for me, partially for you. So I'll answer my part. Mm -hmm. Going back to the patience thing. So what what did Kimberly do from my perspective that helped me ultimately want to stay in the marriage is that she was patient, loving, and kind. That doesn't mean that at all times she would sit there. If I was in a very vile mood and for whatever reason, I just, it's like something else was in control and I was just being nasty. And I still have those episodes sometimes. I'm a human being, but it was happening a lot back in those days where I would just be in just this, this piss and vinegar mood where there was just nothing going on good. And I just, I wanted to take out my, whether it was frustration, anger, whatever it was on, on those around me. And Kimberly is of course the closest person around. It's a good thing. We didn't have children at that time or even a dog or, or something, but, uh, she, she left me for a period. There were about three or four days where she was like, I can't take this. I have got to get out of here. We were down in Enterprise, Alabama, and we had just gotten back from a trip to New Orleans, 
and I guess just at New Orleans, the ride home, things were just ugh, very vile uh, on my part. My The way I felt was just one of those nasty moods, if you ever just get into a dark mood. And when we got back, uh, I think she wasn't planning on doing it, but we had like yet another fight for like the seventh time in a row within a 24-hour period. And it was, of course, nasty. And she was just like, I can't take this. I'm going to have to go back to Nashville for a few days. And she did. And that gave me time to cool down. At first, I was I was really mad. Uh, I was like, you know what? I, I'm done. I'm just going to divorce. We're just going to divorce. This isn't working out. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a crazy thought. At What was it? Year four? Year three or four? Four. Three. Year three. Year three. Uh, cra- kind, of, kind of a crazy thought to have, but... Yeah, I, I was also um, very upset with her as she was obviously upset with me. But ultimately, I was like, you know what? She is a very patient person, and I need to soften my heart. My heart was very hard. And that was something that I had to come to the conclusion of. That's not something anybody could force upon me. And that, and that stinks for a listener to hear who's like, what can I do to help my spouse soften? And the answer is, the only thing you can do is put yourself out there and be vulnerable and be patient, loving, and kind. Mm -hmm. And then they have to make a choice. They might take your vulnerability and then slap you with it. Mm -hmm. Figuratively speaking, I hope. Uh, But they they might not care about your vulnerability, about your opening up, about you, you know, trying to do something. And Kimberly emphasized during that time that she loved me. That she did love me. Uh, I felt unloved in that, in that moment. Well, excuse me. But she emphasized that she loved me. And uh, that was part of help. what helped me realize, you know what? She is a very loving person. She is very patient and kind. And, and I should soften up. Even though I'm very angry right now. Just in, in general. I'm very angry. Uh, and I realized later that the root of a lot of my anger is actually pride. The more pride we have, the more angry we are, generally speaking, with some exceptions. So uh, her attitude has helped me, but there was no magic pill. I think I've said it before, there was no easy answer. There was no trick that you can do that somehow makes it easy, because there's not. And I don't mean to be discouraging, but it takes patience, love, and kindness. Humility, openness, and uh, the whole time, respect, even when the other person is not showing it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I didn't do that well the whole time. I mean, I would instigate a lot of fights. I would um, knowingly do things to try and manipulate Rob. I would... Um, cry about things so that I because I was trying to get him to soften and so I I would try and put him in a situation where he could soften so I would I would start crying or I'd want him to see how much he hurt me because I thought if he could just see then he would change and that didn't work what really worked was me doing those things he said being patient learning really it was me learning to focus on me it was when I stopped worrying about him and, and what he was doing, how he was responding to things, what was he going to do when he came home, whatever it was. And I started saying, you know, I am going to focus on my pies. I'm going to focus on myself physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. I'm I'm going to get closer to God. I'm going to stop because one of my big things is why I is ever since Rob and I got married was I looked to him for my happiness, or I would look to him for my self-worth. I would find that in the attention that he would give me or things he would say to me. And, and of course, when we were growing apart and when there was anger and when I felt like I was doing a lot of stuff wrong and I couldn't figure out why, it was a huge blow to myself. And so I had to start focusing on me. And when I started focusing on me and stopped putting so much pressure towards him, um, trying to make him the perfect person I wanted him to be, trying to, um, you know, force him to change. Because it was, there was a, many months where I was like, he's the problem. He, if he would do this different, if he would do that different. 
You know, I don't, I deserve something better. These were things I would tell myself all the time. Yeah, we both saw the other spouse as the problem. And that is a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a problem. And so when I started focusing on me, um, and that took months for me to get to that point, but um, I started focusing on me and it was a few months after that, that, um, that Rob, I guess, started noticing a change in me. And then he was able to open up to me about things that, that he had never opened up to me about before things that were causing huge walls between us. And we knew that they were there. I knew that they were there. Um, and he knew that they were there, but we had never talked about them. And, and the anger, it just allowed the anger to fester. It allowed all of these things to just get worse. And so when I started focusing on me, um, he might have been starting to focus on himself too. I don't, I don't know. There was a lot of, we didn't communicate about during that time. But, um, you know, once he did open up to me about a lot of things, it, it changed everything. Yeah, it did. When I saw Kimberly start to focus on herself, I then decided to stop focusing on her too, because she's doing it. Part of why in the past she was focusing on me and what needed to be fixed about me is because I wasn't doing it. And I was focusing on her and what she needs to fix about herself because I felt like she wasn't doing it. So neither of us were focusing on ourselves. We were each focusing on the other person, what the other person needed to change or fix. As you can imagine, that didn't work. When I saw Kimberly start to focus on herself rather than on me, I was like, well, maybe I should focus on me then. And so I did. Yeah. And it made, it made all the difference. And so it wasn't like when that, that changed us and we are perfect and now our marriage is wonderful. That's not what happened. But when we did start focusing on ourselves and I wasn't making him work on his pies, he wasn't making me work on my pies, but we just did it. And it opened that communication and that and that opportunity for us to be completely truthful with each other about a lot of things, um, it allowed us to start working on things. It wasn't an, it allowed us the ability to say, okay, now here's what we have. Let's work on making this marriage better from here. And it was work. It's still work. We still are we fight about stupid stuff and you know, we still, he's still an introvert. I'm still an extrovert. He still has hobbies that I don't understand. (laughs) Like the Renaissance festival stuff. I go with him because if I go with him, then we may compromise and he'll take dance lessons with me. But you know, we're not, it's not like all of a sudden I'm his perfect wife and he's my perfect husband, but we choose every day, mostly every day. (laughs) to to work on it because we know um we know what the consequences are and just because rob didn't have an affair or i didn't have an affair or because there weren't actual divorce papers on the table doesn't mean that we were each individually at a point in our marriage where we were done where we didn't see hope or we didn't feel like this could be something that we wanted to be in in the future and in fact, I would even say a lot of marriages where it is affected by an affair, it's very easy to look at the affair as an extreme, an extraneous issue where it's like, well, if the affair was done, then we'd be able to work on this and it would be good again. But when you're in a marriage where there's no, you can't point to one specific thing that's going wrong, it can seem more overwhelming because it's like, maybe we just weren't meant to be together. And I can't tell you how many marriages we saw that were our friends in the military that ended up divorcing or are currently in the process of divorce because that is the lie that they are believing. We just aren't meant to be together. We have irreconcilable differences. We can't communicate. We just don't get along. Um, There's all these things that people say and the truth of the matter is, is that you're never going to marry 
the right person. You're never going to have a perfect marriage. The next person that you marry, there's going to be a new set of issues because every person you marry, you marry a set of problems. And so the difference is made when you say, you know what? We're going to work through this. No matter what these differences are, no matter what these things are we can't agree on, no matter what terrible things have happened in the past or the fights we've had, whatever it is, it's better for us to work on making this work together and making this an amazing marriage from whatever crappy past it's been, as opposed to saying, let's just throw in the towel and start over from scratch. It doesn't work. I just... And what Kimberly's saying also underscores, I don't know if she's intentionally trying to underscore it, but let me underscore it further that you have to let the past go and you can't hang on to that. Yeah. And oh, by the way, we're not perfect with that. Just the other day we were having, I wouldn't call it a fight, but a discussion about something. And she brought, <laughs> she brought the past up and she apologized almost immediately saying, you know what? I'm sorry. That was something in the past. I, I apologize for bringing that back up. None of us have a time machine. If we did, I would go back to medieval times and I would be a knight (laughs) until I died a few days later in battle. (laughs) But we don't have a time machine. We don't. None of us do. We cannot go back in time. Your spouse can't go back in time and unsay what they said, but they can say they're sorry. And they might not say it for a while because their heart is hard. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they're defensive, because their wall is up, because the, their fortress is as as fortified as it can be. I'm going to yeah. use as many medieval analogies as I can possibly <laughs> use in the t- small time that I have. But your spouse is defensive. You're probably defensive for good reason, but you can't change the past. So don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. And, and if, they might not ever apologize. And let me tell you something. Forgiveness is difficult, but when you do it, it's very freeing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to do it 100 times for the same incident. Every time you think of that incident, you've got to forgive a person. And it's I would say it's very important to forgive your spouse. The, the person we often are the least likely to forgive for anything is the person that is probably one of the most important people to forgive. Yeah. Yeah. I... I um... I'm so passionate, of course, about marriages and about saving marriages um, and about doing the things that it takes to to make marriage work. But that, to me, I I eat, breathe, and live this material. I I did it before we when we were in the middle of of our crisis and um, and things like that. And I honestly believe that because. I was consuming so much and implementing it is because our marriage didn't get worse than it did. Now, don't don't hear me to say like, I'm I'm the savior. I'm the reason that because I did this, things didn't end up going <laughs> worse than they could. That's not true at all. But what is true is I a lot of people I even saw it again today in one of the Facebook groups. They said, why are we fighting for this? Why are we fighting for our spouses who are acting this way or doing these things or this, that, or the other? And my response is because we fight for people we love because we believe that they should be rescued. Even if they are doing the stupidest things, even if they want out, even if they're living with someone else, even if they are addicted to something, whatever it is, we fight for the people we love because we want to rescue them from the brokenness and from the hurt and from the path that they're headed towards. And so when we take this information and when we work on ourselves and when we start implementing it and we start seeing ourselves change, not only is that amazing for us, but we're doing it because we have to practice this day in and day out in order to bring our spouses back and to save our marriage. We have to. Even if your marriage is going good right now, if you stop doing the things that make love grow, then you start doing the things that destroy love. It can lead to a path that you don't want it to be down. And so I'm passionate about it for that reason. Rob and I have to work on this every day. I have to work on this every single day. I I am not perfect. I'm more 
broken and I can be mean and there's terrible things that I do. But my end goal is I want to have a healthy marriage, a God honoring marriage. I want to have, um, I don't want to have to have the problems and the issues and the obstacles that others have. But even if they do come, I feel safe. I feel secure. I feel confident in knowing that I know what to do in order to make our marriage work. And that's how we feel at Marriage Helper. That's how Rob and I feel when when we see the couples that are friends with us that are going through these troubles. We always are able to have hope for other people. And even if our story doesn't look like yours or taste like yours or sound like yours, the feelings that we've had and the feelings that you have are probably more similar than you think. Yeah. And Kimberly, I think you just said, uh, you know, you know what to do. And let me emphasize to those who may be listening and and you're wondering, well, what do I do? Um, Besides buying one of the courses for $4.99. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, What you can do, all you can do is what you can do. Mm -hmm. So there's an element of surrender here I want to talk about. Um, but I'm going to start by reading one of the questions before I get into that. Someone wrote in and they said, I know you have said in the last that you have had to give him space so that he can process thing things. He's introverted in, in, uh, parentheses. And you obviously are a talker. She's an extrovert. So my question would be, how do you find a balance of your need to talk about things and his need for space and to process. Very good and interesting question. Now that I read it out loud, I have no idea how I'm going to tie that back into surrender. (laughs) But watch me do it anyway. So let me start by saying, I hate to talk about the F word. (laughs) To me, the F word is feelings. Okay, I feel dirty saying it. I hate talking about feelings. Many of you, if you're a military spouse, your spouse has been trained that feelings aren't something you really talk about. Mm -hmm. I think I got it from my childhood, but the military reinforced it even more. You don't talk about your feelings. Nobody gives a damn about your feelings. Get the mission done. Go home safe. Get all your men home. That's what you do. You accomplish the mission. Nobody cares about anybody's feelings. You accomplish the mission. That's what you do. It's like that the Geico commercials in the theater or whatever. <laughs> so you yeah. silence your cell phone. That's what you do. In the military, you accomplish the mission. That's what you do. And nobody cares about your feelings. And you don't talk about your feelings. I would say that uh, one thing that's helped me, and Kimberly's not going to love this answer, but so I, I would like to first start by saying addiction is rampant in the military. Pornography, alcohol, more people drink alcohol than don't. It's the rule, not the exception. People who don't drink are the exception. Smoking, even overeating. You wouldn't think that in the military, overeating would be something that people struggle with. People struggle with it a lot. And being overweight, uh, which I've been in the military. I've been just barely on that line the whole time towards the end where I was just skirting the line. But I entered into... An addiction recovery program, which actually really helped me open up about my feelings. And one of the best ways I find to do that is to call people in that group and talk with them about my feelings. These aren't things I hide from Kimberly per se, but it's it's an environment where people relate to the things that I'm struggling with, the things that I've dealt with. And there's a dog. Uh, people relate to what I struggle with and what I deal with who I can talk with about. And that actually helps me a lot. And that helps me open up to Kimberly at other times. The more I open up to these other addicts, the more I can open up to Kimberly. And that's helped me a lot. Yeah. And one of the key tenets of addiction recovery is surrender. So for us, that is surrendering to God. Uh, Surrendering our temptation, whatever it is that we're addicted to, you got to surrender that. Now, going back to what I was saying earlier about all you can do is just what you can do. That in and of itself takes an element of surrender. You have to surrender the fact that you can't solve this whole thing by yourself. You also can't make your spouse love you. Mm-hmm. You can't make them not be angry anymore. You can't really make them do anything unless you use force, which you're going to go to jail. So don't do that. 
Uh, I wish I were kidding, but sometimes you got to be serious about that. But you can't make your spouse do things. You can't make them be a different person. You can't make them overcome whatever addiction they may struggle with. And if they're in military, they probably struggle with something, whether you know it or not. And you can't, you can't control that. You can only control you. You can only control what you do. Kimberly started working on herself. We went over this earlier. She started working on herself. And when I noticed she was working on herself, she became a kinder, gentler, humbler, more patient, loving person. That was when I started focusing on working on myself. And when I realized she was a safe place to go to, I went to her and talked to her about my addictions and my struggles. That took years, years. That was not an overnight process. She couldn't make me do it. She tried. She knew there was something there. She tried to make me. She tried to make me open up. I wouldn't do it. It took years. So going back to what Kimberly said, she said, all you can do, all you can do is what you can do. Yeah, and I had to learn to stop pressing him. So in the question, it said, how did you find a balance? Now that we are on better terms, that balance of needing to talk versus his time to to process is a much easier balance because he's much more open to talking about things and I can approach him easier. Um, and so it changes with the situation of our marriage. Um, then, you know, years ago when it was, or a couple of years ago when it was not as good, I would want to talk about all these feelings and talk about these things or get him to talk about things. And so I would keep asking. And then if he would open up about one thing, then I saw it as my opportunity to try and get him to open up about a ton of other things at that very moment. And he would just shut down or he, it would make him angry or or something would happen. And he's like, Nope, you know, that was it. That was the threshold. We're done. Um, A very exasperated feeling. It's like, Oh, she wants to talk about feelings. I I can't stand talking. I would rather be strapped to a chair by an insane dentist and have my teeth drilled into that's what it felt like (laughs) and so i had to learn to reward another thing we say even rob and i say to each other is reward the behavior you want to see yeah reward what you want to keep happening and so when he would open up or share something or we would talk about feelings i would say thank you for talking about that with me and then i would shut up even if there was a ton of other stuff i wanted to talk about i knew that now wasn't the time to press I needed to give him time and space and and wait for another good moment where we're in a good mood and we're in a good spot to bring it up again. And then we would go from there. But um, I would reward the behavior that I wanted to see continue to happen. And so, um, you know, that's one just very tangible way that I would do that. Now, going back again, someone said before, um, like, what, how, how can you stay strong when you're separated? And we talked about how we didn't do it well. If, no, we didn't. If we could do it again, how would we do it now? As a matter of discipline, I would force myself to talk to you every day for at least 15 minutes, even if we were literally both just sitting there on the line, not really saying anything, and it was silence. Um, and, and I'm sure there probably would have been occasions if we were angry where if we had a rule where we were going to force ourselves to do that and actually stick to it, we may have actually had some minutes of silence there on the, on both ends until we, but that actually could be good. Maybe it gives people time to cool off and, and maybe apologize. Maybe, uh, don't hold your breath too long for that. Um, but I would have been more disciplined about talking to you mm-hmm. and, uh, that was tough in Korea. There is either a 14 or 15 hour time difference depending on uh, daylight savings here in the U.S. They don't do it over there. So in the wintertime, it's 8 a.m. and it's it's still dark. And in the summertime, it's bright out at 5.30 a.m. So, uh, But the, the time difference was, was definitely a role kind of, and I think we kind of use that as an excuse a bit. But yeah. you can certainly work around that. And uh, we, we didn't kind of, we, we just didn't feel like it. So we didn't. Yeah. If you can get your spouse to agree and don't try to coerce or control them into this, it may be something that you need to discuss prior to a deployment. So I apologize to those who are listening right now who have spouses currently deployed. You may need to discuss prior that, you know, okay, we're going to talk every day for at least 15 minutes. 
as a matter of discipline, even if we're upset with each other, even if we don't feel like it, even if we don't have anything to say, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I guess that's the only thing I can think of, um, is just communicate more, talk to each other more. Really, if we could actually go back in time, we wouldn't have separated during yeah. that time because that was actually voluntary for us. Right. Uh, we actually had the luxury of deciding that we weren't going to do it, but we did it anyway. Yeah. We did. And even just the the internal commitment while separated of it can be really easy to not necessarily forget you're married, but it can be very easy to start getting into your own habits, doing your own things, um, making your own decisions, you know, financially or, or whatever. I bought a house, maybe even two when we were two. <laughs> when we were separated. He never even saw them, but Um, You know, things like that. I mean, he knew I was buying the houses, but if you're in and it really depends where your marriage is, if you're in the situation where, you know, you're the spouse who is deployed and your wife is back home or your husband's back home and they don't want to talk to you anymore, they're moving on, then they might not answer your calls and you can't do anything about that. But is it a situation where you need to go to your commander and ask if you can go home for her for a week or for your mid tour or for whatever? Um, do you need to start sending letters not to be pushy or, or anything like that? But when I would get um, a gift in the mail from Rob or something like that, it just made a huge amount of difference. Or when I would send him a care package, it would make a huge amount of difference. Even just, um, you know, consciously in the day, thinking about Rob, making a point to, you know, pray for him for us that that would matter doing things like that. Uh, always wearing my wedding ring, which I did, but, you know, always wearing your wedding rings, not entertaining the thoughts. If you feel like you're becoming attracted to another person, have friends that are going to keep you from doing that. A lot of military spouses are the worst for, um, for encouraging you to have affairs or leave your husband or do things that you shouldn't do. And so I had to really watch who I would spend time with. And, um, and who I would hang out with or being sure not to complain about your spouse, not to, especially not to complain about the situation when you don't have any control over it. You know, if your spouse is deployed, they're serving your country, they're serving for our freedom. Um, that's something to be honored and celebrated and it hurts and it's very difficult to be a military wife, but you are making as much of a sacrifice for America uh, as your spouse is, and I don't know if that's politically correct to say, but it is. But it's a huge, it's a huge deal, and so we need to honor that. And even though Rob's not in the military anymore, um, you know, military spouses that stay at home need to honor that as their role as well as their spouse's role that's serving overseas. Yeah, and it's very tough that if. And I think the the question was broached earlier in discussion off of the podcast, and it's not written down on the sheet, but I'll I'll go ahead and address it a little bit. What do you do if a spouse, and there's two different scenarios, there's a spouse who's deployed who's involved in an affair, and you know it, and then there's a spouse who's back home who's presumably the civilian who's involved in an affair, and the person who's overseas knows it, and there's not much they can do about it. Obviously, Kimberly mentioned, you know, trying to take leave, which, of course, that's the first thing everybody thinks of, but not all circumstances or commanders or units are very fond of that. They may not want you to take leave outside of your mid-tour, what was scheduled for you as a mid-tour, or maybe you already took leave and they won't give it to you again. You know, they may even start seeing you as a slacker if you try and ask for leave again. You don't even want to ask. You know, you may be in a very toxic environment where the leaders just don't care about your marriage. Again, the feelings thing. They care about the mission. The mission will always come first. It's in our creed. So, you know, that, that can be a very difficult spot. How do you handle that? I've heard stories, story after story as a soldier where a soldier comes home from deployment. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the ones I heard was a guy walks in the front door and he sees another dude sitting on the couch watching TV, just laying there in his house on his couch watching his TV. And... Uh, and he looks to his wife. He says, who, who is that? And she's standing there and she has an awkward look on her face. And, and she points to some bags that are packed by the door. She said, hey, I, uh, 
I packed your bags for you and uh you know you can guess the rest of the story it's it's not unfortunately that story is not unique and then the the reverse is true where a committed spouse is back home with the children or with the family and she knows that or he knows that their service member who is overseas whether it's Iraq, whether it's a, a combat deployment, or even just a place like Korea or Japan where it's not combat. But they're pretty confident or they know for sure that that person's cheating on them. Um, and that person who's overseas is involved in an affair either with a service member or someone who's you know, maybe native to that country who knows. And, and they want to try and do something about that. Those are all tough circumstances. Uh, and, and there are some techniques that I thought of to try and remedy that situation that I'm not really going to recommend here because I don't actually know if they'll work or not. And, you know, trying to battle game, okay, well, write congressman or, or talk to commander or, or do this or do that. At the end of the day, you know, you, you may have to wait till they come home or you come home. Got to work on yourself. You got to work on yourself. And if it does end, if you can't save it, at the end of the day, you invested in yourself. And when you have to move on and you have to go forward, you didn't waste your time worrying about how you were going to change that other person. You you worried about yourself. You worked on your pies. You became more attractive. And going forward, that'll help you. That'll help you. Absolutely. You know, I can't. And again, there's no magic pill. There's no easy solution. It's just work on yourself. When you are presented with a situation, try to have a Jesus-like attitude. That's what Kimberly did towards me. It didn't pay off right away. In fact, what makes having a Jesus-like attitude so difficult is that in the short term, it usually hurts you a lot more. It helps you in the long term, but in the short term, it hurts. When you turn the other cheek, figuratively or literally, that hurts. But in the long term, it pays off. In the short term, coming up with a scathing or biting or or slashing remark towards the other person might feel good and fulfilling. Especially if you know how to press their buttons. If you're married to them, you know how to press their buttons. <laughs> I'm telling you, don't do it. Even if they're doing it to you. Um, work on yourself. Work on yourself. There's no easy, easy answer for any of the tough situations that arise in, in military marriages. Absolutely. Well, it just makes my heart burst that you did the podcast with me. I really appreciate it. And I truly hope that you all enjoyed it. And if this is something where we could get Rob back on and you'd want to hear us talk about other things, let us know. But uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, we encourage you to fight for your marriage, no matter what your current situation is, no matter how hard it seems, or maybe even no matter how easy it seems right now or how good it's going. Don't let it get complacent. But also don't give up hope if it's in a bad spot, no matter where it is, focus on continuing to do what you can to work on you to make your marriage better, to be that kind of spouse that is going to uh, attract your spouse back to you. Be, like we like to say at Marriage Helper, um, people don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. So we always want to teach y'all how to be the better. And that looks different in, in different situations. Uh, but there's fundamental things. And we've talked about those fundamental p principles that applied for us and that have applied for thousands of other marriages as well. Rob, do you have any concluding remarks you'd like to add? Yeah, just real quick. Um, you know, what you were just saying about making yourself better, you're doing that for you, that no matter what happens in your marriage, you are either a more physically fit person, you're more intelligent, you're more emotionally stable, you're more spiritual, whatever the case is, you are better. And while we want your marriage to work out, as I'm sure and I hope you do too, if it doesn't, or whatever happens, come what may, you are a better person. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was uh, it was a blast, and I know we're creeping over an hour now, so I talk more than I thought I would. I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you. Thanks, babe. Love you. Love you. All right. Thanks, listeners. Uh, 
again, so excited. And thank you again to Rob for spending your time with us, for sharing your time with us. Uh, Really, I mean, you know he's an introvert, so him sharing his heart with y'all was a huge, huge step. If there's anything we can do at Marriage Helper to help you, you can always find us at marriagehelper.com. And you can also find us always uh, by calling us at our number 615-472-1161. If you're calling from America, 866-903-0990 if you're calling from around the rest of the world. And we literally have customers, clients, people come to our workshop and our online courses from so many, I mean, like over 25 different countries. So um, we, what we teach applies across cultures, across nationalities, across uh, male, female, whatever it is, we want to help you fight for your marriage because at Marriage Helper, we are here to save marriages and strengthen families. That is our mission. And our goal is to save 10,000 marriages over the next five years. And we would love for yours to be one of them. Look forward to seeing you on the next podcast.